0: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I had the pleasure to speak with Lawrence Jacobs, who is the author, along with James Druckman, of Who Governs? Presidents, Public Opinion and Manipulation, published this year by University of Chicago Press. I hope that you enjoy this interview that I did with Professor Jacobs. Welcome back to the podcast. As I just mentioned, I have the pleasure today to talk to the author of Who Governs, Presidents, Public Opinion, and Manipulation, published this year by University of Chicago Press. Lawrence Jacobs, how are you doing today?
1: Great. It's good to be with you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. It's a pleasure to be with you, uh, to talk to you as well. Um, Before we get to the book, uh, to your interesting book, maybe you can just introduce yourself just a little bit and also your co-author in the book.
1: Well, I'm a political scientist who is in a policy school, the University of Minnesota called the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. A lot of my work looks at political representation, and I'm also a student of health reform. My co-author is a um, political scientist as well, and he focuses on the intersection of the study of politics and psychology, an area known as, as political psychology. And Professor uh, Jamie Druckman has also been uh, one of the leaders in looking at new methodologies using experiments.
0: Yeah, and, and the methodological piece of this of this book that you have written together is is really interesting. Something that I'd like to talk about. I'd also like to talk a little bit about the Scholar Strategy Network, maybe at the conclusion of our conversation if we have time. But let's let's move to the book. Um, you you place your analysis into a discussion, a big discussion of representative democracy. What if you could talk just a little bit about some of the conventional notions of the presidency and the responsiveness of presidents and um, you know, and, and and how that sets up what what your take is and, and your approach here.
1: To me, the big question we have today is: How is it that we have policies coming out of Washington that are often out of step with what most people want? Policies that might expand economic inequality, that might be undemocratic in the sense that they don't reflect what most voters prefer, and all this is occurring. In a political system that's based on democratic representation, how do you square that? And this book is a determined effort to deal with that. And the first step is really to clear away the uh, apparatus, the kind of ideology of the presidency, which for many decades has has kind of lauded presidents as as you know kind of a George Washington type figure or as Uh, figures who could become these people who stand above the country and speak for the common good, uh, not beholden to any particular interest. And this book demonstrates demonstrably that presidents are really in the business of responding to fairly narrow interests rather than any notion of the people.
0: Now, um as as i as mentioned earlier the the methods that are used i think really do need to be foregrounded here because of, of sort of how you get at this this difficult question and and difficult uh subject matter and and you know I think we hear so often about mixed methods but but less frequent frequently do we see scholarship that truly does this and i think your your book really does this so well um would you tell us a bit about the eclectic array of data sources and methods you use to to cobble them together and and how these bear on on the the subject matter?
1: Well, obviously, there are a lot of biographies of presidents and folks who visit presidential archives. What we've done is to combine the quantitative analysis of the private polls of presidents. And many of these polls have not been uh, analyzed in the past. They have been referred to on occasion in uh, some in various studies or in biographies. But we treat the president's own polling as a data source and try to use that to understand the kinds of strategies they pursue to move public opinion. The other part is we've interviewed a bunch of uh, aides to presidents um, as well as using what are often confidential strategy memos that really describe how the presidents are thinking about uh, their role in our democracy?:
0: Yeah, the process of triangulating is is, I think, just a big contribution of the book. So let's talk about presidential polling, something that that you mention is is often referred to, but but not really uh, taken um, that seriously by by researchers. You focus on Johnson and Nixon and the uh, Reagan White Houses. Uh, but would you give us just a, a sort of a thumbnail sketch of presidential polling? Who started using polls? Um, when did polling grow more sophisticated in the White House? How long has this been going on?
1: It's been going on for some time, and uh, you know, essentially since the invention of polling techniques, beginning with these very uh, informal stroll polls to scientific polls that use representative samples, Presidents have been kind of dabbling in it. I would say some of the key moments are when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt begins to uh, consult and encourage uh, the pollsters of his time to share their data with him. Um, perhaps the key moment was when uh, John Kennedy was running for president in 1960 and then came into the White House. He established a very close relationship with uh, the pollster Lou Harris. Uh, in conducting polls that were specifically targeted for the Kennedy campaign. And from there it just kind of mushrooms um, out uh, to the point now where you've got a very large apparatus. It's part of the White House institution of polling often supported by private money or from the political parties that is incorporated into the political strategy but also policy discussions uh, travel by presence. So if you think of kind of national security and the data collection for that, well, here's another area where you've got enormous data collection, except this is driven really for political purposes and um, to help presidents uh, design strategies to move the country in a direction that favors their policies.
0: Now, you don't focus on uh, President Carter why is that exactly? Is, is it uh, related to his use of polling or of the availability of the data?
1: It's a bit of both. Um, Carter did polling, um, even though publicly he kind of uh, downgraded it. Uh, but he did polling, but the availability and the magnitude of the polling he did was probably not up to what we saw under Nixon and then the takeoff under Ronald Reagan. Often, by the way, the Republican president's were the moments when you really see a a breakthrough both in the amount of polling, but as importantly, the sophistication, the kind of polling that's being done. That may be because the Republican uh, presidents have connections to advertising. They have connections into the business community where polling is uh, used as an everyday tool for marketing and for uh, designing new products.
0: So presidents conduct polls and they've been increasing their use of of the polls, but they don't always ask the same types of questions. I wonder if you'd clarify some of the terminology that you use, including lumping and splitting, as it relates to presidential polling and, and also to your analysis.
1: One of the key themes that we focus on is how presidents use polling and then their political strategies to create discretion. That is, for presidents, to do what they want to do. They come in, they've got an agenda, and the kind of ideal of democracy is, well, presidents are going to follow what the country wants. This is not the case. Presidents come into office already committed to policies, and that's what they're going to do. They turn to polling to figure out how to do that in a way that will allow them and their supporters to survive uh, electoral punishment. Now, as presidents think about polling, they're quite strategic. They've got limited resources. They've got limited money uh, to conduct the polls that they want. And one of the things they do is to alter the kinds of data that they collect. For issues of great salience to Americans already, presidents collect uh, data on particular policy issues, like, for instance, no doubt uh, the Obama administration is collecting enormous amount of polling data on the Affordable Care Act and health reform. It's very prominent. Um, and they might well be collecting data on immigration, another issue that's quite salient. Um, but issues that lack salience and that are not of uh, intense concern to the White House, they the White House tends to uh, rely on this more general uh, kind of lumping of public opinion into liberal or conservative. And that may sound quite abstract, but it was remarkable when we went through uh, presidential archives and looked at the actual polls that presidents uh, were collecting. It was a very systematic, uh, predictable pattern in what data the presidents were collecting and then how they were using it.
0: Yeah, and so tell us a little bit about that. Maybe even before you tell us about what you found, um, maybe you could just give us a sense of the numbers here. How many polls are we talking about? Um, uh, Monthly, weekly? uh, How much does this change from Nixon to Reagan? And then, based on you know these polls, how does it change, if at all, their their behaviors?
1: Well, the the magnitude goes from uh, you know dozens uh, during the Kennedy years to hundreds under Lyndon Johnson uh, to ever greater numbers under Nixon and then Reagan. But, I think, as important as the growing number and kind of pervasiveness of polling is the sophistication of the kinds of uh of questions that uh are being used. If you go back and you look at Kennedy's polls or Johnson's, they tended to use very broad questions like um, uh a a question of essentially was tapping into the public's agenda? What do you consider the most important issues of the day? And and then the uh, Americans would be given uh, a list of items and they would rank them. You move forward into Nixon and, and Reagan and you see the White House uh, moving more towards identifying wording of particular policy issues that they favor to test which argument is, is getting more preference? Uh, which argument looks like it will win the day in the court of public opinion so that when a president gives a speech, you know, you often see these kind of uh, post-speech polling. Well, it turns out that the White House is already trying to anticipate that process by doing their own polling and using specific words and arguments and framings that will resonate with uh, the public, or they believe will resonate with the public. A second dimension of White House polling, and this was quite striking to us, is that presidents, beginning with Nixon and and more so with Reagan, look to poll on personality issues. In other words, they're moving from trying to track the public's policy preferences. Do you support health reform? Do you support immigration reform? to questions about perceptions of the president's leadership skills, his um, ability to uh, provide decisive direction in the country and other dimensions, his warmth, his likability. Um, this is a very important uh, development of polling. and really, to us, ties into what is a dramatic change in, in American democracy.
0: And so, so you have these different presidents that are, that are pursuing polling in, in diff, some different ways, but how is it related to what they actually say? Because one of the real novel things that you do is to try to connect particular polls to particular public statements. Um, what are some of the relationships that exist between the poll and the, the eventual communication to the public?
1: This is the most important part of the book, which is we, we show that presidents use polls to uh, move public opinion in several different ways. One is they try to uh, manipulate the attention that, that Americans put on an issue. It's very hard to change people's basic policy preference, but you can change what they focus on. And presidents are very attentive to using their statements, their public statements, to prime the public to focus on some issues and not in others. And we're able to show this uh, using quantitative research, as well as the archival evidence from the White House's own strategy memos. The other part is that presidents are very focused on um, trying to shape the perceptions of them as, as individuals and as people. And this is a very dramatic change in the nature of representation away from Focusing on policy issues, does my elected official follow what I prefer to non-policy issues? Do I like the politician because I consider them to be warm and likable and experienced and um, a powerful uh, leader? Now, that may seem kind of like an esoteric point, but it is of enormous importance because as that happens, it creates more freedom. On the policy front, and so if you find, for instance, Ronald Reagan to be a strong leader, which is something the White House worked very hard to instill, then perhaps you can be less concerned with his policies on taxes or or building the defense, even if you disagree with that. Richard Nixon viewed this very idea of moving from kind of policy representation to this more kind of personalistic. Um, uh, uh, image-based representation as critical on the issue of Vietnam, where his position was quite unpopular, but the president and his aides believed that they could still hold public support for the president based on his leadership. He's trying to do the right thing. He's got the experience. Um, So the key issue here, the theme of the book, is the following. We're seeing a narrowing of democracy, presidents try to restrict their engagement with the public's policy preferences to a narrow set of salient issues. They try to uh, shift the nature of their relationship with Americans from policy questions where the public might disagree with them to these more um, uh, kind of imperson- imper- uh, more personalistic sort of impressions about them as people.
0: And, and not only that, I mean, that, that's, that's significant, but there's this last piece of the book that, that I think is perhaps the most dramatic, which is the way in which polling uh, draws attention to some groups and not others. Um, I wonder if you could sort of play this out just, just for us, how, how the polling uh, drew these presidents to certain constituencies and how you were able to discover that out of these data?
1: I think most people are now coming to recognize that um, economic inequality in America is expanding. This is no longer a partisan issue. What we find in the book, uh, looking particularly at Ronald Reagan, is that the White House catered its policies to the preferences of the affluent and to um, a segment of the electorate who were most politically important to uh, President Reagan, namely um, evangelicals um, and uh, the kind of rock solid conservatives uh, that he relied on in the Republican Party. So again, far from the idea of George Washington kind of representing the people, what we find here looking at quantitative evidence of the relationship between the polling on these specific uh, clusters of um, of voters and what policies they preferred and what the president was out there advocating that there's clearly a tie between um, economic inequality and the use of polling to uh, cater to the rich and to those who are well connected.
0: Now you, you choose somewhat for happenstance to Republican presidents, Nixon and Reagan. Um, is there any reason to think that there is a partisan dimension of this Uh, If you were to uh, redo this analysis with with Clinton and Obama, would you anticipate um, very different patterns, um, or or is this a nature of the the modern presidency?
1: This is the nature of the modern presidency. I I wrote a book actually on the Clinton White House and its polling, and um, this is very similar to what we found, though we didn't have the quantitative data uh, for that book. The name of the book is called Politicians Don't Pander. Um So I think this is ongoing and obviously I've talked with uh, and followed the polling of the Obama administration as well as the Bush years. This is a, a kind of a characteristic of American politics and political power right now and it's been uh, really instilled in the way in which the White House has been organized as an institution. The White House is engineered to cater to narrow interests. And then, try to manipulate the public uh, to prefer the policies that those uh, narrow interests favor
0: now we talked just I, I mentioned very briefly uh, some of the work that you 're also doing with this scholar strategy network, and it sort of gets to what 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 one might do with the findings from from your book. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that in closing. Um, what do we do? this isn 't an area that that you would expect um, you know, new calls for legislation. Uh, this is in some ways kind of deeper and more profound. But, um, you know, as a as a participant in the public, larger public debate, um, what are your recommendations? Or, or how do you see this connecting to a um, uh, reform of a system that is growing distant from the actual interests of the vast majority of uh, American voters?
1: We're moving into a presidential election season and there are competing proposals about, uh, how to address economic inequality, immigration reform, health reform, um, uh, and many other issues. And those issues have passionate supporters and obviously many perspectives. We're raising a more fundamental question, which is how do we reach decisions in government? And today our government is controlled by a narrow elite that are making decisions. And our argument is if we're going to improve the quality of life and the opportunity that is shared by all Americans, we've got to take a hard look about how our government is working and make efforts to restore democratic responsiveness. Today we have a government that caters to a small number and then tries to manipulate citizens to support the agendas of those different groups.
0: Uh- This book is just so interesting and and one that I think should be widely, widely read. Uh, The title, again, is Who Governs Presidents, Public Opinion and Manipulation, published by Lawrence Jacobs and uh, uh, James Druckmann with University of Chicago Press this year, 2015. Larry, thank you very much for your time today. Great to be with you.